funny books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Jonathan. Hey guys, you know, it's very exciting because we are less than a week from free comic book day. Yeah, we are. Uh, I like free. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it'll be my first free comic book day. Really? Really, really? Yeah. Yeah, I never even knew it existed until I got back into comics. Ugh. So you've been missing out because it's been around since like 2002. It's awesome. Oh, I got I got out of comics before that. So, uh, so you couldn't get in free comics all that time. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I was into it. Grant Morrison. Whenever Grant Morrison was in, doing X Men, <laughs> I jumped out. The Great Dark Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was at my comic shop this week, and I was having a conversation about just various creators and Grant Morrison, and I shared with them my no Grant Morrison in the house rule. <laughs> I I uh, I interviewed Sherry Priest last night. She's a novelist. She does uh, some science fiction steampunk stuff, and yeah. uh, she had all all nice things to say about both Grant Morrison and Warren Ellis. I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> did you have to did you have to slap her down about that well i i you know i i couldn't just sit there and just be like oh really oh great guys huh you know because i had to be i had to be like you know i heard warren ellis uh talk some trash about uh podcasters is that true do you know if that's true she's like i don't know <laughs> I, heard, I heard that we're all inbred is that true <laughs> nice am i inbred <laughs> Well, you know, there's all kinds of good stuff coming out on uh, Free Comic Book Day. In fact, we have our interview with Joe Field, the founder of Free Comic Book Day, which will drop this coming Wednesday in advance of uh, Free Comic Book Day. So you can hear all about that. Uh, It's a great interview. We had a lot of fun doing it. uh, And I think you'll enjoy it, too. But that is just the preamble, as it were, to something even more awesome. Indeed even more awesome than free comic book day it has to still be free it is whatever, still free whatever it is it must be free it is not just free it is double free i don't know that doesn't even make sense <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah two it's days free after- with bacon there you go <laughs> yeah exactly you know free comic book day is a pussy compared to free funny book day damn right Damn right. You know how awesome Free Funny Book Day is? How awesome is it, Paul? It is so awesome. It went back in time, had sex with your mother, and is actually your biological father. That's how awesome. That is pretty awesome. That is awesome. But Free Funny Book Day is Monday, May 3rd um, on ideologyofmadness.com. And what I've been doing, you know, I've been kind of putting together the prizes. I was messing with them last night, and I ran out of bags and boards. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's how many books were given away. Um, but, you know, I can, you know, I was looking at them like, God, why am I giving this stuff away? But there's <laughs> tons of good stuff we're giving away. <laughs> uh, just to give a little teaser, I sent Aaron an email earlier this week about some of the stuff um, that we're giving away. And this isn't even all of it. We're giving away the first arc of Chu, uh, John Lehman's Chu from Image Comics. We're giving away the first two arcs of Detective Comics written by Greg Rucka. Uh, the first one had art by J.H. Williams. Actually, they both had art by J.H. Williams III. Um, we're giving away the first arc of Booster Gold by Dan Jurgens, who we had on the show last week. Giving away Justice League Cry for Justice, the entire series. Dr. Voodoo, Avenger of the Supernatural, again, the entire series. Incredible Hercules, Assault on New Olympus. 
We're giving away the first arc of Haunt, the X-Force arc of Necrotia, Prelude to Deadpool Core. We're giving away copies of Razzle by Jeff Smith. We're giving away tons and tons of stuff, and the list just keeps growing. And this is going to be an all-day event the Monday following Free Comic Book Day, and that day is May the 3rd. Monday, May 3rd. If, you're, if you show up on the 5th, you get dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, what you'll get is you'll get a comic book interview, but you won't get free comics. So what do people have to do to participate? We're going to post a new contest at least every hour, starting at 8 eastern standard time uh so you central people and you west coast people get your asses up early because we'll be giving away great shit starting at 8 a.m eastern standard time go to www.ideologyofmadness.com and we're going to post the contests there each one will probably have some type of different rules you know you might have to stand on your head or have sex with a donkey or something sacrifice a goat sacrifice a goat you know but more than likely you'll just have to leave some type of comment on the post, um, something along the lines of, you know, if for, let's, for example, for the first arc of two, I will give away so you can think about it now. We will probably ask you to leave a comment with the grossest thing you've ever eaten. Which should involve something from a donkey show. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> Pictures or it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can't use a placenta because I, that's my answer. Oh, God. Yeah, we don't think anyone will be able to compete with you, Jonathan. <laughs> Luckily, funny book hosts are excluded. Yes, yes, yes. So poor Jonathan and his well, I might leave comments and just participate anyway, even though I can't win. <laughs> <laughs> well, free funny book day is going to be awesome. We're just going to be giving stuff away all day long. So go ahead and clear your calendar at work, and just know you need to be glued to your computer because uh, it's going to be it's it's going to be a ton of stuff we're giving away. Tell your friends. You know what? Don't even clear your calendar. Just take off. Just take off and keep refreshing the page on ideologyofmadness.com. Colin's sick, so you can compete on our uh, on our on our contest. That's you great. Know, and if you've already com- if you've already entered into one and you've got an hour to wait, go over and give a review on iTunes. Then come back. Yeah, exactly. Give a review of our show. You know, um, listen to previous episodes. Tons of stuff to do. Tons and tons. All righty. Well, uh, that's enough of that. There's never enough when it comes to free comics. Or Perhaps there is <laughs> Green Lantern 53 came out this week, which is the first Green Lantern book since the conclusion of Blackest Night. Um, this picks up shortly thereafter. It is a brightest day book written by Jeff Johns with art by Doug Mankey. I am not normally a Green Lantern reader. I just started reading Green Lantern again through uh, Blackest Night because I was a basically I was a Kyle fan who never has cared for for Hal, and I dropped the book after the first arc when they first brought Hal back. So for me, this felt kind of like it did before Blackest Night. I was interested in the basically the what's going on in the last couple panels, because I don't know what's going on, where you know you have a guy working with, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Atrocitus? Oh, Atrocitus. Atrocitus. Atrocitus yeah. and Ganthet. And it looks like there's a you know there's a copy of all the rings on big rocks at one point with someone in the center that I have no idea who is. Right. So I don't know. It's it is intriguing, but I don't think I'm sold. Well, you know, I have to admit I liked it, but you know, I've been reading this volume of Green Lantern since the beginning. Um, I I, I did like this issue. I I liked it better than I liked the last couple of uh, Blackest Night books. 
Um, you know, it does feel a little bit like an epilogue and a setup for, you know, the next years of stories. But, I mean, that's kind of what I guess it's supposed to be anyway. Um, but, you know, I, I did enjoy it. You know, I, I do like some of the ideas, and you know, I am curious to see where it's going. Well, I thought the art- artwork was great. <clears throat> I mean, you know, Doug Mankey, we, we just keep, you know, stroking him. He uh, he. he Drew a really nice book. You know, there's there's a, there's a lot of uh, atmosphere to it. Uh, totally dug it. I thought it was particularly interesting in the chamber that Wayne described, where you've got the big splash page and the representation of all the different ring cores. And I thought it was interesting the chaining of parallax above that one. I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm kind of curious to know what that's all about. I think that eventually they want to have every one of the entities chained in this room. Yeah, that would be my guess. guess. The book is very much kind of a you know prepping stuff, wrapping up a few story threads from from Blackest Night and prepping for the next big thing. I I just don't know how I feel about it. In that I enjoyed it, but it it sure does feel like the beginning of Blackest Night. You know, it it feels like you know oh, we're going to lead up to all these cool things. You know, are we really going to execute them as well as we'd like them to be? And the one thing that really bugged me about this issue was the uh, flying around that uh, Hal and Carol do in their fighter jets and, you know, the fact that Sinistro just pops up and blows Hal out of the sky. Well, he blows both of them out of the sky, really. There's a lot of blowing going on. (laughs) (laughs) I did love Hal's comment of, uh, you did know she still had the ring, right? (laughs) Sure, if that makes you feel better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The, the, The one page or the one part of the story that I rather liked was Lex Luthor in his laboratory, where uh, Larflees shows up and, you know, interrogates him a little bit. And, you know, you see Lex Luthor has been affected by uh, his stint as an Orange Lantern because you see Lex doing some stuff that you've never seen Lex do before, like eating fast food. (laughs) You know, uh, you know, and you can tell he's still feeling a little bit of that that greed and appetite from the Orange Orange Lantern. I thought it was a, a neat page. and It's nice to see that Larflees isn't done with him yet. Yeah, and I'm curious to see if that Lex Luthor stuff is going to play out in Green Lantern or if it's going to play out in Action Comics. Right. Uh, because the first arc of uh, Action Comics post-War of the Supermen um, is going to focus on Lex Luthor, and one of the covers shows him in the Orange Lantern uh, getup. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to see where that goes. And, you know, I, I, I like the story. You know, it's kind of funny because it almost feels a little bit like Brightest Day number zero did. You're right. And that it's setting up the next year's worth of storyline. Now, you know, there there was one page that I found particularly interesting in this book, and it was an ad, not part of the story. Okay. And, it, and I have remarked on numerous occasions how hard it is for me to read Legion of Superheroes because there are just so many damn Legionnaires in the book. But I see that Paul Levitz, uh, his first uh, issue of Legion of Superheroes is teased here with somebody wearing a Legion ring, Legion flight ring, and a Green Lantern ring. Yeah. And that's poised to start in May, and I have to say I'm curious about that. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to be that guy who um, who was in the uh, the Legion of Three Worlds. Remember, he was the last Green Lantern. He was the one. He was a, Dax- a Daxamite, wasn't he? Yeah, that guy. i enjoy the concept of legion but i've never been able to get into their books i like the cartoon i like when they guest star in things but i've just never been able to get into their actual title same here but i'm curious and damn it i might have to check that out you know i'm not gonna lie if they if they give away a legion ring with it then i'll pick up the first issue 
Well, I do need a Legion flight ring. Yeah, but it's going to be defective. These stupid flash rings don't come with flash costumes inside. Mine does. What the hell? And I've got this total link up to the Speed Force. Oh, yeah. My superhero name is Fat Flash. So. <laughs> <laughs> were, were there any other Brightest Day books? There were not. <laughs> John, that's like, that's the brightest aspect of all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There were two of this week. There were two Thanos Imperative Thanos, Thanos, Imperative books um, leading into the big um, Marvel crossover. And I actually picked them up, even though I don't read either one of these titles. But I read both of them. So do I. Now, we'll start I, I, off with – I'm sorry. And I was going to say I love Thanos as a character. So you know, the, the only reason I picked these books up is because of the Thanos tie-in. Well, well who is Thanos? He's the Mad Titan. <laughs> he – I mean Thanos is the guy – you know, it, it, during the 90s, there were uh, a trilogy of series, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade. Um, and it started off with Thanos, who harnessed the powers of the Infinity Gauntlet. Do you know what the Infinity Gauntlet is? It's a gauntlet that's infinity. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the five it, – It's imagine like we're talking about with Green Lantern with the different colors. The Infinity Gauntlet's kind of like that. It's got different – it's different color gems, power gems. And basically when they're on the gauntlet, when they're combined like that, um, the bearer has – is basically like God. You know, you can do whatever he wants. Um, and Thanos has killed the entire Marvel Universe. I mean literally killed the entire Marvel Universe multiple times and then basically recreated it just for the hell of it. Now, Thanos uh, you know, is actually a character that dates back to the 70s. He was uh, created by Jim Starlin, was a Adam Warlock villain, was a Captain Marvel villain. He, uh, gosh, he's big on death. You know, he, he wants to kill everything. He, yeah. is, he, he, is, he a, uh, is he a scroll? Uh, no, but he does have the wrinkly chin. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's one of the, the big cosmic bad guys. You know, he, uh, uh, gosh, I mean, I'm just trying to think of all the different you know, Avengers books he's been in and uh, just everything. Yeah, I mean, he is my favorite Marvel villain. He kind of yeah. reminds me of Marvel's version of Darkseid. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, he's just a badass guy. You know, he's practically undefeatable. Um, Except he that did die. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, he's undefeatable, but he wanted to die. You know, he's the thing about Thanos, at least that it used to be, was that he was in love with death. Right. The actual character death. Yeah, the actual character death. So, you know, um, as we see, he has been torn from the grips of death, uh, you know, in, in Guardians of Galaxy of the Galaxy number 24. Well, and, and in the last uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, he, uh, I guess, kills the Avatar of Death, mm-hmm. does he not? I don't know. I, I didn't read number 24. but you Well, guys... that's because you're lame. But <laughs> for those cool guys like Aaron and I. That's right. Well, he, you know, Thanos is – he had his own series uh, for a little while that Keith Giffen was writing. and It was rather short-lived, but it was a really very strong series that tied in nicely to the uh, space books that Marvel's currently working on. Um, at the beginning of uh, Abnett and Lanning's run, Thanos died off in the Marvel Universe, and now it's been like two years, and they're bringing him back for the Thanos imperative. So starting off with the uh, book that he actually makes an appearance in – uh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy number 25, which appears to be the last issue in this series. Um, you know, Jonathan had mentioned last week that uh, it, there were no solicits for Guardians of the Galaxy or Nova 
for May. And so, you know, when I was at my comic shop this week, I said, hey, are they canceling that? And my comic shop guy's like, well, I, I don't know. They haven't said anything to us. So, you know, searching around online, I found where the editor of the book was talking about, yeah, it's going on hiatus with no te- no teasing of when the book might be back. The Oh, uh, you know what that means. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's going, it's going to uh, to leave Marvel and start its own uh, comic book publishing house. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the Thanos Imperative is actually a miniseries, which I think is six issues. And, you know, they're te- they- they've said, you know, maybe something will happen after that, maybe not. Uh, it really concerns me because there are characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy book, such as Rocket Raccoon, that I just absolutely <laughs> love. I mean, I love Rocket Raccoon. And I, it concerns me I'm not going to get to see him anywhere else. And, you know, talking to my comic book shop guy, you know, he said these books sell really well for him. And I so think what Marvel is doing with these, though, I think they're giving them hiatus until after the Thanos imperative, at which point they can relaunch them with number one issues. Um, I think we're not going to see all of them back. I'm pretty sure we'll see Guardians of the Galaxy, but I'm pretty sure we won't see Nova back because he's in Secret Warriors. And I'm fine with that. I, you know, the, yeah, the, me too. The Nova I book was... is not nearly as strong, I think, as Guardians. Um, I enjoy see, Nova. I, I think Nova is more strong than Guardians. I think that it is less strong. <laughs> well, because in, <laughs> in, in Nova, in Nova, you can you can focus on a, a character, whereas Guardians still, still all this time I've been. I've been reading it for six months now, and um, I'm like, all right, well, this dude's Groot, and then there's a dog <laughs> and a raccoon, you know, and the, there's Peter Quill, you know, because he's important, but and then there's just a lot of other people, just well, so and, many characters. And I, and I think the problem is, and I, I really haven't wanted to, you know, label this, Jonathan, because I was trying to be sensitive to you, but I, but I think the issue is really your lack of basic reading comprehension skills. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> so if you're if you if you can't read, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of you. <laughs> there's a lot of people in Guardians that I want them to kill. Like I, I I was going through it last night, and they they keep killing one character in particular, um, who who you know was in last issue, who is uh, uh, Phyla Phyla Vell, uh, the original Captain Marvel's daughter. You know, they killed they killed her, brought her back, killed her again. So, uh, you know, much to the dismay of her bald lesbian lover. That's right. And she, <laughs> she's rather, uh, you know, uh, upset about that. Yeah. So, Paul. Yes. Read a Guardians uh, for the first time and ever. No, no. Okay. I read the first couple of arcs on the book. I just it just kind of got dropped um, at a certain point, you know, financial reasons. So I could sure. You know, replace it with trade paperbacks or something instead of a four dollar book. Um, it's actually and, uh, a three dollar book, but continue. Yeah, three dollar book. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice that um, the lead into the Thanos imperative would have Thanos getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the the purpose of it, because he wakes up, I guess, kind of mindless, kind of like a a Lazarus pit kind of thing. Right. Um, so I, I think the use of the cosmic cube to, to, to beat him is probably what has unlocked his intelligence. And I think that's where the Thanos imperative, uh, will begin. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good book. I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, I, I <laughs> was kind of amused that, you know, Thanos emerges into the book and spends the entire course of the book being naked. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought that too because the, the I'm, I'm glad that they didn't truly depict him on the cover of the book the way he was inside the book. Yeah, I'm glad he's got the badass costume. Uh huh. Yeah, instead of just being all balls hanging out, <laughs> <laughs> infinity his, balls, his Titan junk. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. I and it just breaks my heart. I mean, the some of the things that I that I so enjoy about Guardians of the Galaxy are the are the the odd characters in the book, like Groot, uh, Cosmo the talking dog, or the Cosmo the telepathic dog, um, Rocket Raccoon, Bug. You know, you've got all of these characters in here that you're. Oh, just, I hate Bug. I want him to die. No, nobody likes you, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. I'm just concerned we're not going to get to see them anymore, and 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 I really hope they prove me wrong. I I hope something else in the space books emerges after Thanos Imperative because uh, I really 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 like these characters. You know, I I did I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I will say uh, Nova. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Guardians. Huh? Well, uh, it's not, it's because it's 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 a weaker book. And I God, I enjoyed it more. <laughs> I especially especially uh Nova thirty six, which is uh, the lead into the Thanos imperative, but doesn't actually have Thanos. Uh it <laughs> seems like it's still t- tying up uh the realm of king stuff and yeah. really tying everything together because all this time, you know, I read the Imperial Guard miniseries and uh and Nova and Guardians of the Galaxy—they all have the Realm of Kings banner, and I'm like, how how is this all connected? Except for that, there's this big fault in space, but it really tied everything together in this issue. Well, I thought, you know, I have to say, this uh, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, this is my first issue of Nova. So you know, I wasn't—I mean, I know who Nova is in general. Um, I don't know much about the character. It didn't seem to tie into the Thanos imperative at all, uh, at least from first glance. And it was kind of a weird way to end a series, I think, in the middle of a cliffhanger. Well, I think it's going to lead directly into Thanos imperative. The the important thing about how this issue of Nova ties into the Thanos imperative is that you've got Thanos, who is an advocate of death, and you've got these, uh, you know, aliens coming from the fault, you know, out there in space who are advocates of life. In fact, they come from a universe which they have conquered death and life is run rampant. And so now they're going to they're trying to flood into our universe. And so you'll have, you know, Thanos who wants to kill our universe and you'll have these guys that want to uh, you know, essentially be a cancer within our universe. Photogen. That's right. That's right. You know, it's very very Cthulhu type of uh, of creatures there. I I enjoyed Nova. I I just I don't get a, near as much a kick out of it as I do Guardians. And I will I will say about uh, Nova, the art was kind of iffy for me as well. What? Yeah, I thought the art <laughs> was art was beautiful. I, what? No. It was crisp. It was clean. I that's what I like. That's what it was. So, Paul, what did you think about seeing Namorita back? I thought it was interesting. Uh, I mean, I, again, this is my first issue of the title, so I don't know like what she did other than lie down in the bed, which is basically all she did in this. Well, no, she was awake in this issue. She just kind of stood around. Right. Oh, what's a woman for? <laughs> um, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I, I, you know, and I like the concept of Nova. I just haven't really picked up the book. Um, but you know, I might go back and pick these up in trades. Uh, I think what kind of scared me away from the galactic area of the Marvel Universe is that 
you know, to get into it to begin with, I had to pick up like a billion Annihilation books. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. then a billion Annihilation Part Two books or but whatever the, it was called. But the good thing about those Annihilation books is that they're awesome. So I mean, and it, but it was just intimidating. You yeah, know, and, and I, it, I, it is. It, it is, and it's a lot of books. But I, I can I, I can vouch for that the Annihilation books are absolutely outstanding. So. Yeah, for me, it's just a. As a personal preference, I tend to not like those big overarching space stories. That's one of the reasons I haven't been a big fan of Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. And one of the reasons that I basically leave X-Men every time they go on a big space jaunt. It just doesn't interest me. I like something more focused on Earth. Right. Well, speaking of Earth, speaking of Earth, uh, you know, if you want to focus on Earth, there is a big overarching crossover uh, taking place on our planet in uh, the X-Men universe with Second Coming. That was like the worst transition ever, by the way. Um, You've done better than what I had in mind. (laughs) Speaking of Earth, another book takes place on Earth. X-Men Legacy number 235 came out this week, which is chapter four of X-Men Second Coming, which is fortunately written by Mike Carey, but unfortunately drawn by Greg Land. Um, (laughs) I know a couple of us read it. Jonathan, what'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I, you know, from... From just a pure writer's perspective, uh, it was great. Uh, it, I, I love how these books are written by different writers, but they seem to be on the same page, which can't be said in Marvel nowadays. And and uh, Zeb Wells uh, wrote Chapter 3, and Mike Carey picks up right in the middle of a cliffhanger, and it feels – it still has the same feel. Yeah, I didn't think we'd figure out what was going on with what was going to happen with Karma until the next New Mutants. I was actually surprised that he they did that. I mean, it's as far as a crossover goes, it really doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, I uh, you know, and th- that's something that I hope we see continue all the way through Chapter 14 because this has been a solid crossover. Um, like you said, you know, it, it hasn't felt like a different writer every time. It just feels, you know, like a natural flowing story. Um, you know, other than the artwork changes. And I have to admit, that's the one fault I found in this book. I'm not a fan of Greg Land. Um, I feel like he either is, you know, tracing pictures out of a model magazine or when he's not, the art isn't strong. You got funny looking faces and things like that. Um, you know that- what? Like, with all the <laughs> crappy art that we put up with nowadays, you know, with all this stylized garbage, like, what? this is good, man. This is... I, 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 I didn't care for it. It doesn't hurt the eyes. <laughs> it doesn't look like somebody eyes. sketched and then colored over the sketches. It was interesting. <laughs> I noticed the art seemed different from a battle scene versus a people standing around. Like the scene where Rogue standing in the cornfield and pointing, I thought that was absolutely beautiful art. And all the, you know, all the stuff back at, uh, back on the island with Cyclops and all. But then you see Wolverine and X-23 walking out of the fire, and I didn't care for that art. But I had no problem with the art overall. I I enjoyed it. See, I don't know. I, I And this is just, you know, I, from – and that's what I, – you know, I've read online about Greg Land. You know, and they, you know, they have these pictures, you know, that – you know, they'll show a, like a picture from Sports Illustrated, and then it'll show that he used that to basically draw his pictures. You know, basically, like it looks the exact same image except he drew X-Men clothes on it. Um, so that's why I think there is a difference between the standing scenes where it looks like someone is posing versus the action scenes where he actually had to draw a freehand. 
and and I, I could actually, like you said, I could tell the difference between an action scene and the scenes where someone was standing around. And that I don't know. That just kind of bugged me. And, and again, I liked the story. I just didn't necessarily care for the art. I was just happy some of the plot points I've been waiting for finally happened. Hope is finally with the X-Men now. They did deal with the uh, what happens with Karma. And if you look very closely on a couple of the panels, it looks like she wasn't just run through the leg. It looks like she lost the last last part of her leg. Yeah, well, Ouch. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not only that, uh, someone died. I don't know who she is, but she's a teleporter, and she got exploded. Yeah, she oh, has yeah. a useful. She had a very useful power, and she got blown up. That was cool. Uh, she's she's one of the lame-o X-Men. I was glad. I was <laughs> Her like, name is yes. Ariel, and I guess she's a teleporter, and she went explodey in this book. Spoilers on retroactively. I, I just want him to <laughs> let Megan. I want him to let Megan go out in the field so she can die too. Just kill them all. Kill every character that wasn't around in the '90s that I don't know who their na- what their names are. <laughs> that's that's kind of sad, but it's true. You know, anyone yeah. introduced after the the. Jim Lee run on X Men uh, is kind of like who? I'm me. I'm kind of after the Chris Claremont run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dropped after a couple books of Grant Morrison, and then I picked up here and there through Grant Morrison's run to see if he ever hit a stride that I liked, and he never did. <laughs> that wasn't the only Second Coming book that came out this week. X Factor Two Hundred Four came out this week. Um, I didn't pick it up because it wasn't numbered, so I figured it wasn't essential to the storyline. Um, but I know Wayne and Jonathan did. What do you guys think? You're right. It wasn't essential to the storyline at all. I don't know how this is supposed to be related to Second Coming at all, other than uh, a bit at the beginning where they're planning, if we were to attack these guys, how would you know how would other heroes react and things like that? Yeah, I, I think it's... it's uh... Relating to Second Coming in that, uh, you know, uh, the the main villain in this is uh, is Trask. So he, uh, you know, they they want to take out all mutants, and so X Factor doesn't live on Utopia. They live in New York City. They run a business, and it sort of deals deals with that 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 they're not uh, they're not terrorists. They're not viewed in the same way that the X Men are, and like. They're having to find justifiable reasons to kill them. Yeah, and it looks like there are a lot of deaths in this book, but they seem to like killing multiple man, and I think that's because they can easily bring him back. Well, we we know we know that they're not dead. So was it any? Good? We do know this, right? <laughs> I knew like, multiple like man they, wasn't dead, but Shatterstar got shot in the side of the head. No, so they, I'm assuming like he's they, dead. No, they went in with a plan. Did, did the scene the scene towards the beginning where where uh, Madrox is like uh, he tells Longshot to handle the money? Did you did you get what that scene represented? Nope, not at all. Uh, Longshot has the abil- the ability to divine where an o- like an object's history through touching it. So he was able by handling that money, he was able to see where it came from. Interesting. I didn't realize that about him. I mean, I remember his old runs in X Factor or X Force, but I don't remember that ever coming up as being his power. Well, it could have been something that Peter David made up. <laughs> no, I so I didn't get. I didn't get that at all. I had no idea. But uh, yeah, I mean, essential to the story. No, 
but I, I'm surprised that Peter David's participating at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got to say about it. It was crap, okay? It was crap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's all we needed. Now we yeah. can move on to Avengers. I will. <laughs> I will be picking up the next X Factor because it's not tied into the story, really. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the World War Hulk tie-ins where it's like, here's stuff that's going on outside that's not part of the story. Here's why they're not part of the story. Buy our books. Yeah. It's on TV while they're watching, you know, while they're doing other things. But, uh, so, moving on to Avengers versus Atlas number four. Yeah. Aaron and I both read that this week. And this is the, the final issue of a four-issue miniseries. Um, what'd you think, Aaron? I rather liked it. I did too. I, I liked this entire miniseries, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's kind of kind of weird because the uh, the conflict in it is is very you know man versus elements kind kind of a kind of a story. You know, it's, there's not really a personal villain in in this story, and that was fine because I just enjoyed the interaction between you know the Atlas team members and the classic Avengers. I just yeah. I, I got a real kick out of that. I got a kick out of uh, you know. Uh, I think it was in issue three when Namora had an opportunity to throw Cap Shield, you know, and she's just like, I've always wanted to do that, <laughs> you know. And then the the comment, you know, uh, you know, don't don't get don't don't go in there into the into the temporal anomaly. You'll wind up frozen in ice again. And Cap turns to her, you too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, and isn't in issue three? Didn't Namora either make out or have sex with Thor? Uh, made out with Thor underwater. Yeah. 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 I thought that was funny. I mean, th- there there have been a lot of great character beats like that throughout the entire series. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're right. The, the villain was different. Um, it, it took me a little while to warm up to, to the explanation of the villain. Yeah. But, you know, I, I ended up liking it because it's something different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just a, it. Let's be honest. The, the villain was the 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 the, uh, the complication was just there to get these these two groups of characters together. So you can see how they interact. I mean, you know, I never once felt like there was anything really at risk here in this miniseries. This was this was an opportunity to have fun with two different sets of characters at two different, you know, points in their history. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I got a lot of fun out of it. Yeah, I really I'm, enjoyed it. And, and I, uh, per- I, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, please. Well, I particularly enjoyed the backup. Yeah, and I've enjoyed all the backups actually, yeah. but this I think was my favorite one. Yeah, mine too. I it, this was a, a story about Gorilla Man, and you know, uh, Gorilla Man is a character who uh, the legend is is that if you kill this this gorilla, this talking gorilla, you'll live forever. But what they what you don't hear in the in the legend is that you'll live forever as the gr- gorilla, which is how you know Ken became the Gorilla Man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I absolutely love the character, and I just like this little scene where the guy shows up to kill him, and you know, the big reveal at the end of it is he keeps a souvenir of all these guys he has to take apart that try and kill him, and keeps them in a little archive to represent, you know, this is how I got here, and people are always going to be coming after me for the same. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really liked this story. Yeah, I mean, it was only you know eight pages. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was extremely well done. It's written by Jason Aaron, mm-hmm. but you know, it, for an eight page story, it had a lot of emotional weight, especially when you see all of the people he's had to kill. Right. Uh, that, you know, that have tried, um, you know, I, I really, really dug that. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a great series. You know, if you can get it, um, all four issues, I highly recommend it. Um, 
you know, or if it comes out in trade and has the backups, you know, definitely pick it up. Well, you know, Agents of Atlas, I've just really gotten turned on to, to these characters. And I know Jonathan doesn't much care for them. But, uh, hey, I, Atlas is on my pull list for May. Well, hey, look at that. you're the guy who said they don't fit in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, well, then I came to realize that in the Marvel Universe these days, nothing fits. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I, I thought this was a great miniseries, and I would recommend picking it up collected. Absolutely. Now, um, the one book that I might pick up in collected um, form, I, I did start reading the first couple of arcs, and I liked it. Um, it just, you know, it was a four-dollar biweekly book, so I've decided I'm just going to pick it up and trade when it all gets collected. Is X Men Forever, um, and the first X Men Forever annual came out this week, and Johnny Boy read it. Yeah, um, here's a, a little secret about me: I hate annuals. <laughs> I read them. And I always hate them. Uh, so this book was a little bit different because I didn't hate it. In fact, I loved it. Uh, you know, unlike the normal annual where it's just like, oh, this is just a waste of a month. Like, come on. Give me something. Give me, you know, the story that I've been reading. Don't don't give me this. And uh, But this, this one actually ties into uh, what was revealed in the very first issue about uh, – uh, Jean Grey's uh, secret romance with with Wolverine, and this tells the story of how how that began. Um, it was a great read. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the the art was fantastic. Um, you know, you've got some cameos with X characters that we haven't seen in X Men Forever yet, such as uh, Jubilee and Psylocke. I think it was great. I well, I have I am actually very curious about X Men Forever, and I haven't read any of those books, so I am going to be picking that up in trade. I'm I, I'm enjoying X Factor Forever, and you know, disgusted that it's only a miniseries, um, and I, I I'm really just very curious about X Men Forever, so I'm going to be uh, picking that one up. Yeah, I really do like X Men Forever. You know, it, it just it just got dropped because you know I was. I'm reading a lot of Marvel U books, and X Men Forever unfortunately doesn't affect the main Marvel universe, and you know I, I just kind of dropped it for now. But I will pick it up eventually because it, it is a well-written, well-drawn story. Tom Grummet art is fantastic. Cool, cool, indeed. Now I also I picked up this week Batman Streets of Gotham number eleven, uh, written by Paul Dini with art by Dustin Wen, and this is my book of the week. Um, I loved this book. Um, this is probably the best Batman comic I've read since before Bruce Wayne bit it. Um, this is this is you know, and it, Batman's not even in it other than for a page or two. It shockingly enough, it focuses on Damian Wayne. Um, Damian Wayne has gone undercover into Mister Zaz's uh, fight, children's Fight Club ring, and so this issue is basically a knife fight between Damian Wayne and uh, Mr. Zaz. And he he jacks Mr. Zaz up. Uh, you know, basically, he guts Mr. Zaz before the book is over. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a side of the character that most people have been trying to get away from, trying to make Damian, you know, more likable or just a brat, not really dangerous, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, in, in this book, you get to see, you know, the kid that was trained by the League of Assassins and you know he slices 
you know, Zaz up ghetto style. I mean, he, he, he gets what's coming to him and it's, it's, it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, he has a makeshift mask that he makes out of blood on his face. Uh, so it's, it's a violent book. Um, definitely not something you're going to see frequently in the Batman universe right now. Uh, but I highly recommend picking up the streets of Gotham, uh, by Paul Dini. Alrighty. Well, it's now time for your favorite part of the show. Indie Spotlight. Woohoo! <laughs> now, Wayne, you read Incorruptible this week, didn't you? Yep. And that's actually my biggest complaint is that I just now read Incorruptible number four. This one of the problems when you like so many books that aren't Marvel or DC is it's hard to get them sometimes. I remember reading about Incorruptible when it was going to come out, and I was excited about it. The basic concept is, you know, the Irredeemable that we've talked about quite a few times is that world's greatest hero has turned into a villain, and he's killing everyone. Well, this is his greatest villain is now becoming a hero. Because, I mean, if you're a villain and you're big, you know, the big guy you fight is now a villain as well, what are you going to do? You're going to save yourself and the world while you're at it. And it's still a Mark Wade book. It's still his world. It's still incredible. I really enjoyed the issue, and I'm really pissed that I didn't get one through three because I never saw it on the shelves. So as soon as it comes out in trade, and they are planning on releasing it in trade, I plan on picking up the trade of one through four so I can get caught up. But, yeah, that's my biggest complaint about books that aren't from one of the big two is sometimes you just don't even get them on the shelf. Like, you know. The re- whole reason I'm reading The Wrong Nemesis is the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's got to be hard for the retailer to try and figure out which of these books are going to sell. You know, and that's a, that's a, a big risk to, you know, tie up your, your capital in books that aren't going to move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I think that's a conversation you've got to have with your retailer, Wayne. You know, <laughs> and, ta- and talk to him about the kind of books you like. And, you know, maybe the two of you can establish a bond of trust. In, in terms of the books that you'll purchase. Well, Which you know, one, my regular retailer or the one I go to on the side? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need a third indie store. <laughs> and I've spoken to retailers about this before. And um, the honest, you know, it, it, it's true that, you know, they say they, they're afraid of ordering books that aren't going to sell because, you know, comics don't appreciate and value anymore. No. So basically you're ordering a product that if it doesn't sell – you may either never sell it, or you're going to have to sell it for you know. You're going to put it in the quarter bin. You know, um, what you're going to do. Uh, you know, but, but what they recommended is look through previews, um, and if you see a title that you want, you know, let them know. Um, you know, so you know, I, they recommend picking up previews every month. I pick up previews every month, um, and even though I haven't <laughs> done what they told me to do, and then I complain because I don't order the books, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, it, you know that that is probably the best way to do it. Unfortunately, you can't get a, a glance through the book before you buy it, and that's my uh, complaint about you know if you're if you're shopping through previews, it doesn't give you a tactile experience of the book you're going to get. You know, exactly. and I am, yeah. I, I've gotten burned so many times on books that looked cool in previews that just wound up being crap when, when, when it was actually delivered to you. And so, you know, there, there is that need to have the experience of holding the book in your hand, thumbing through it, making sure that the artwork looks like something you're going to be interested in, making sure that, you know, it's like, for instance, we complained last week about, you know, books that are just, you know, short stories, you know, you can, you can kind of make sure that that kind of crap's not going to happen to you. You know, you can look that it's not some giant-sized edition with, that's full of reprints. 
You know, it's it's nice to be able to have that chance to hold it in your hand, but you know that that involves your retailer risking their capital. You know, along the same lines, I almost picked up Crossed Family Values, the first issue of that this week. But as I'm thumbing through it, I realized this is part of it. This is a second series, and I didn't read any of the first, so I put it back so I can go out and get the trade of the first because that looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm gonna tell you, uh, Crossed. Um, is a messed up, messed up book. Um, way beyond That's why it looks so interesting as I was reading yeah. through the uh, Family Values one. Yeah, I mean, this is way beyond anything you've read in Preacher. Um, you know, for the because yeah, it's written by Garth Ennis, just like, like Preacher. Um, it's it's beyond Preacher levels of depravity. Um, but it is an excellent, excellent book, and I do highly recommend picking it up if you can if you can take it. it it's not for everyone. It's really speaking not. of preachers. Hey, perfect. <laughs> um, Jonathan read an indie spotlight book this week. I did. And I Mike read a number one from Top Cow Comics. Yes. What'd you Would, think? Well, I uh, and for those who who were waiting uh, in anticipation, uh, X Men Forever Annual was actually my book of the week. Since this is the last one I'm going to be talking about, didn't want people <laughs> to think this was it. Um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a setup issue, you know, it's a number one issue. It just introduces you to the story, introduces you to the players. Um, but I see such potential here for badassery. Uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely putting this on my pull list. I love yeah. the art. I love the story. I, you know, it, a lot of people wouldn't know that about me, because, you know, with the uh, religious tones of the book. But I'm like, hmm. Well, at least the Catholic Church is still corrupt in here, so I guess I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to suspend my disbelief too too much. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoy the whole mythos that Top Cow's created over there with those characters, and I know going forward they're getting ready to do a big storyline that's kind of the next step after their. Se- after uh, their last two or three storylines. And it's about these seven artifacts, one of them being the Witchblade, one of them being something that uh, Magdalena had, I believe, as well. The and I'm kind of looking Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with all seven artifacts. No, so they actually have a universe, you know, like oh, yeah. Marvel is supposed there, to have. There's Which, three main books to the Top Cow universe there's the Magdalena, um, Darkness, and, and Witchblade. Witchblade. Um, and they have, you know, a couple of miniseries. I think there's one right now called Pandora's Box going on right now. Um, now, you, now, don't let that frighten anybody. Uh, the Magdalena, you can pick up issue one of the Magdalena, written by Ron Mars with art by Nelson Blake II, and it explains everything you need to know about this character. She's descended from, you know, Mary Magdalene. You know, she is an enforcer for the Catholic Church. You know, she fights demons with the Spear of Destiny. You're set up. You know, you can enjoy the story, uh, and it's a fantastic story, beautiful. Yeah. Life, just like Jonathan said, the art on this book is awesome. And if anyone wants to know about that artifact storyline coming up, well, they're releasing a preview of it as Free Comic Book Day. Exactly. Um, you know, there, there's an artifacts first look coming out on Free Comic Book Day. Artifacts number one comes out in July, um, and it's their it's their big crossover for the year. Um, but you know, it, 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 you know, Top Cow gets a bad rap, I guess, for being TNA. Uh, or, you know, from the 90s. I mean, a lot of books still have a bad rap from the 90s. But, you know, Top Cow, you know, right now, Witchblade is written by Ron Mars, 
Darkness is written by Phil Hester. I mean, these guys are quality writers. Yeah, and you can get some of their trades really cheap. I mean, they did one of the Witchblade trades for like five bucks. Yeah, and it was the first Darkness trade, the very first of the new run. uh, Every time I get one of those, someone always asks me, well, isn't that just a TNA book? Like, no, it's got really good writing for a TNA book. How, to be fair, though, like, you know, reading the Magdalene, I'm just like, wow. These chicks are hot. Holy <laughs> crap. Well, they don't put a chick in this book that, that isn't completely doable in every – Oh, yeah. Well, and, and what, do dirty, dirty things. <laughs> I don't know about the art there, but the art in some of the Witchblades is like realistic painting. So as you're going through, they do facial expressions on these girls, and they're – it's photorealism in some cases. It concerns me that you all keep discounting TNA books though. You know, th- th- they do have their place. True. Just true. saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and there is TNA. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is TNA in the books, but, you know, they're backed by excellent writing. And it's not TNA for TNA's sake. It's just adult superhero storytelling. You know, it, it shows relationships. It shows people progressing and having sex and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I really do love the Top Cow universe. The titles are extremely real well written especially the stuff by ron mars um you know and so i was happy he did the magdalena because i mean i really did enjoy this first issue well you know based based on this first issue and knowing now that it's a universe i might actually buy into the other two titles i don't know i said you can get some of the trades really cheap to see what you what you think of it i mean entire arcs for like five bucks where your local comic shop seriously Yeah, um, the yeah. first uh, Darkness um, trade paperback of this volume, uh, the one written by Phil Hester, and I think um, one of the, the first Witchblade uh, trade paperback of Ron Mars' arc, I think are available for like five bucks a piece. Huh. I did not they know They collect that. five, six issues of comic book. Well, I've also bought a lot of them online at in-stock trades because they have, uh, they have a ton of Top Cow stuff over there. Huh. Yeah. In-stock you know, trades sponsors the Uncanny X-Cast, Wayne. You like cheating on funny books with Aaron and Polly right now. Stop Actually, it, Wayne. I've never listened to uh, to the Uncanny X-Cast. I have, however, li- listened to you talk about them quite a bit, and they sound interesting. But they're not us, so they suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of cheating. <laughs> well, hey, we've got a winner in our Blackest Night contest. And it mm-hmm. is – and bear in mind, just to, just to refresh your memory – our Blackest Night uh, contest gives away Blackest Night number zero, the free comic book day issue, Blackest Night's issues one through eight, Blackest Night Tales of the Core one through three, Green Lantern 30, issue 39, 40, 42 through 52, Green Lantern Core 33 through 46, and a whole ass ton of other books. And we have one winner at last in our contest. And it's wait, 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 wait. Okay, who won? Michael Painter! Michael said in his, in the contest entry, we asked that you tell us who you want to stay dead or who you want them to resurrect in the DC Universe after Blackest Night. And he says, honestly, I think that Jim Corrigan should stay dead for good reason. He repaid whatever debt he made as the original Spectre and is now at his final piece in DC Heaven. I wish this death would stay final. And I absolutely agree. And he yeah. is our winner. Congratulations, Michael. So, Michael, uh, be on the lookout. I'll be sending you an email uh, so we can coordinate this uh, 
mega fuck ton of uh, comics that are coming your way. You always have to take it to the next level. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great episode, guys. And don't forget about uh, free comic book day coming up uh, this coming Saturday and then May 1st. Where are we going to be on May 1st for free comic book day? Just in case listeners want to come out and, you know, meet their favorite podcasting people. I will be at Zeus Comics. In? Oh, I'm sorry. Beautiful scenic Dallas, Texas. I'll be at Local Heroes Comics in Norfolk, Virginia. I will be hitting multiple comic shops because that's what I do on free comic book day. So I'll be at comic headquarters in St. Louis. I'll be at fantasy shop in St. Louis. And I might even take a trip over to star clipper also in St. Louis. I will be at El Camino comics. (laughs) Otherwise known as empire comics in enterprise, Alabama. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, we will, um, Like I said, be dropping our free comic book day interview with Joe Fields this coming Wednesday, and then we'll have a free comic book day wrap up for our next regular weekly show, and then be back here on the website, ideologyofmadness.com, Monday, May 3rd, for free funny book day in which we're giving away ham. Woohoo! Ham. Giving it away. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a bunch, guys. Thanks, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.